Chapter 16 of Wilderness Path, a novel by Mary Jane Schneider. Back in New Canaan. I'm home, Mama. Hannah opened the door and Worley moved toward her mother. You must be hungry, Elizabeth said. Have some pork and cabbage. I baked the rye bread you like. How was your trip? I hope the patches of ice have all melted. Hannah looked at her mother bending over the kettle at the fireplace. She saw the lines in her face, the stoop in her back as she ladled the food into the trencher. She's had the fever again, she thought. Hannah hung up her shawl. The journey was shorter than I had remembered. Running across the bridge, Hannah burst into Father Johann's cabin. Have you heard from Thomas? Seated at his writing desk, the priest turned and smiled, then frowned. It is so good to see her again, but now I need to add more pain to this eager child before me. There is no word from Thomas, Hannah. Henry Bidler told me that he headed west. I sent word to our people at Lancaster and at Conewago. They haven't seen him or heard from him. Hannah slumped into the chair beside him and stared at the fire. Liebkin, I wish that I had better news for you, but he seems to have disappeared, disappeared completely. <clears throat> Stepping around the clumps of mud, Hannah crossed the meadow to her brother Jacob's house. Was she ready to be surrounded by the noise of two children, especially Ben, rowdy, enthusiastic Ben? But there was too much silence at home. She realized that she had made her own silence. So she crossed the meadow. Her sister-in-law had summoned her. Please come and teach Ben to read, Esther had said. He can't go to school until he's seven, but he wants to learn. You read so well. Ben would love to have his Aunt Hannah teach him. Jacob and Esther's home always held a certain energy. Jacob was both builder and farmer, almost the image of his father. He was not content to build an ordinary log cabin, but a three-room house. He sheathed its walls to protect it from the winter winds and went to Germantown to buy Esther a loom, glass window panes, and a stove so that the parlor would be both light and warm for her weaving. His bank barn, built into the side of the hill, was a masterpiece of structure and efficiency. His neighbors had gathered for the barn raising and finished it in a day. On the lower level, he had stalls for his horses, the oxen, the cows, and pigs. On the upper level was a wide threshing floor with enough room to store the wheat, rye, and flax he harvested. The barn faced south for the warm winter sun with a forebay to protect the animals from both the summer heat and the winter snow. In turn, they rewarded his care by providing the manure to fertilize his fields. Within their home's whitewashed walls, Esther had borne her husband two healthy children. Never tiring at her daily work, she prepared meals, preserved food, baked bread, wove the linsey woolsey for their clothes, the clatter of her loom added a rhythm to her busy days. Taking the flax and the wool that Elizabeth and Hannah had spun, she deftly moved her shuttle back and forth to make the cloth for shirts 
or petticoat. Peter and Elizabeth could rest easy. Jacob took care of the fields and the animals while Esther made their clothing. A house filled with harmony, Hannah thought as she opened the gate. Ben ran to meet her. Aunt Hannah, you're here at last. Ben has missed you, said his mother. All winter he kept asking for you. So the lessons began. Ein, zwei, drei. Benjamin was struggling to read the names of the numbers written on the hornbook. Holding Susan, Hannah pointed to the words as he read. Susan mimicked her brother's words. Ein, zwei, drei. But in spite of his eagerness to learn, <clears throat> Ben was distracted by the sounds of spring. He stopped to listen to the sparrows and robins perched on the stoop. He ran down the path to watch his father plowing. Hannah devised a strategy. If you learn ten new words a day, that will be enough. Then we'll go for a walk in the woods. I want to collect my healing herbs. The afternoon pattern was set. With his reading lesson finished and Susan asleep for her nap, the two, aunt and nephew, roamed the woods, searching for wild mint and dandelion among the winter leaves. They came upon the green skunk cabbage beside the stream and uncovered the tiny white flowers of the bloodroot. <clears throat> Kneeling down to show Ben the jack-in-the-pulpit, Hannah remembered her own childhood and her delight in first flowers of spring. Through her nephew's eyes, she opened a small part of her heart to the sweet signs of life around her. Together again, Elizabeth and Hannah worked on their customary spring tasks. They turned over the ground in their garden and lined the rows for the turnips and potatoes, marigolds and zinnias. They walked beside each other row by row as they planted the pumpkins. They aired the coverlets, starting a fire in the little used fireplace in the summer house they made soap. Hannah kept the fire going while her mother poured the fat and the lye into the large black kettle. Then they took turns watching the kettle until the soap formed. They worked together but spoke very few words. What was there to say? Hannah had wanted to talk about Thomas, but she did not. Elizabeth had hoped that her daughter had forgotten Thomas, but she was afraid to ask. So each kept their distance from the other with ordinary conversation, ordinary tasks. Faster than he should have walked, Father Johann hurried across the bridge to the weaver's house. Hannah, he called as he pulled the latch string. Come with me to the coon's house. Katerina is ready to deliver her baby, and she needs help. Her sister is away quilting, and the baby is coming. Father Johann, I have never delivered a baby by myself. But you had the best teacher when you watched Die Bergfrau deliver Anna Huber's baby. Besides, this is Katerina's fourth child. She knows more than you do, but she needs someone to be with her. <clears throat> Gathering clean cloths, Hannah reluctantly followed Father Johann across the bridge and down the road to his closest neighbor, Frederick and Katerina Kuhns. By the time they arrived, Frederick had already sent the children into the meadow to look for dandelion greens. He ran out to greet them. 
She says it's time. Father Johann led Hannah into the house. I brought you some help, Katerina. The woman sat up in bed. She looks young. But she has learned to deliver babies from die Bergfrau, Johann said. Then she has been well trained. Besides, I don't have much choice, she held on to the rough bedpost. I think the baby's coming now. Father Johann and Frederic hastened outside while Hannah checked and indeed saw the crown of the head. Holding Katerina's hand tightly, she pushed. Screaming in pain, Katerina pushed. She had experienced childbirth before and was anxious to be finished with her labor. While Hannah held the cloth, the baby emerged, slippery and struggling. As she took the child, Hannah called, A boy, Katerina, and held up the infant, struggling to cry. First faintly and then lustily, its new lungs filled with air. The knife has been boiled, Katerina said. She was the expert, guiding the novice. Hannah cut the cord as the afterbirth came rushing out onto the cloth. Katerina motioned. There's a clean blanket on the table. <clears throat> Hannah wrapped the crying child and handed him to his mother. The children were hoping for a baby brother, she said, and so was Frederic. Tell him the good news. Father and children rushed into the house and gathered around Katerina. The little ones patted the baby's head while Frederic took his wife's hand. Katerina looked at Hannah. You were a good help, little Hannah. You have the makings of a midwife. Hannah came out to the waiting Father Johann. My first baby, Katerina was a good teacher. She walked home, both pensive and exultant, as she remembered de Bergfrau's words. I think you will become a healer. Back in New Canaan. This chapter doesn't hold sensational, synchro, mystic stories or direct woven stories that were happening back in the winter when we read this. When we read this. But as I'm reading this chapter and hearing how Hannah gets to cross the meadow and she gets to cross the meadow when she goes here, when she goes there, almost anywhere she desired or needed to go, she was crossing a meadow. And I love meadows. And when I was reading this, I had the opportunity to live in an old late 1700s farmhouse where there was ample meadows. And I did almost daily walk out amongst the meadows and reminisce on a history that I have no direct memory of. And as MJ writes, records, not just history, but a reminiscence As I'm reading it again, I'm longing again to be in harmony with walking the meadows. And that's a strong theme in Wilderness Path. 
whether it's looking into the Lenape's life and the harmony that existed before the European settlers came, the harmony that William Penn could see in the Lenape's lives and recognized it as a harmony greater than a harmony he could have envisioned back in Europe, a harmony he longed for amidst all of the religious persecution. And just how Hannah was opened, able to open her heart just a little bit through the eyes of her nephew who was taking in the first blossoms of spring is still buried under under leaves from the winter and the snow. So there's something really beautiful in this chapter 16. You know, as for amidst the strife, you know, this is the story, right? The fiction part of the history that is really fun. The strife of Thomas who is, you know, lost in the woods <laughs> um, with the Lenape and Hannah, who has just completed a season of training with De Bergfrau. Um, we're back in New Canaan. We're back kind of into the swing of, of life uh, post-winter season, right? So there was a few chapters of winter season that had a very certain feel. And now we're back into the spring. Um, yeah, and my, my summary for this chapter or my reflections on this chapter are basically summed up in the word harmony. As I keep seeing this, reading this for the second or third time, I keep seeing that, that theme that MJ is, is, was immersed with this energy of harmony. Harmony with the land, harmony with people, um, and she's not writing a utopian historical fiction. She's actually, you know, bringing about quite the, the lack of harmony and introducing it in such a gentle and sometimes just practical and realistic way of how it really was. Uh, but underneath, there is this thread of harmony. Harmony supports life. Harmony is a foundation Harmony returns us to faith and trust. Um, so thank you, MJ. Thank you for keeping it grounded, practical, historically anchored, and for weaving what uh, some of the best romantic poets, Wordsworth, Coleridge, of the Romantic Era, from the uh, Lake District, what they so beautifully were able to bring to light in their observations and poetry of the natural world. Chapter 17, A Wilderness Path, a novel by Mary Jane Schneider. On the Great Shimokin Path. In the, in the month of the grass moon, Sunrising and his family packed their belongings and left Snowshoe at last. Turning away from the Susquehanna River, they followed a series of creeks south and west along the Great Shimokin Path. We want to reach Kithane in time for spring planting, Sunrising said anxiously. We will feel at home with our Lenape brothers beside the Allegheny River. 
Perhaps wandering deer awaits us there. But their journey came to a halt at Puxatawney, their meager supply of corn, eaten so frugally during their winter layover, had dwindled to nothing. The turkey was gone, the venison was gone. Sunrising and soaring hawk hunted for any kind of game that dared to show itself after the frigid winter, while Bright Feather and her daughters searched the stream bed for wild onions and skunk cabbage. A stew at least, perhaps with meat, perhaps not. Listening to the rain falling on the leaves, Thomas stitched his tattered moccasins. When they started back on the trail, Bright Feather had given him the brightly beaded moccasins. Shyly, she said, it is good that you are coming with us. He was grateful for the rest, matching sunrising step for step. He had painfully put one foot in front of the other as he waded through mud and climbed over rocks slippery from the spring fall. What was to become of him after they reached Kithane? These months with the Lenape had shown him how little he knew about them. He put on his repaired moccasins. I will stay at Kithane with sunrising and learn from him. I may even discover where I can find Sarah Bidler. The sight of two Indian warriors on horseback was not a welcome one to Brightfeather. She knew they would quickly see that there were no men around the fire. Without her husband to protect her, she determined that friendliness would be her best defense. Stirring the stew, she held out her ladle. After the warriors dismounted, she noticed the girl, dressed as a Lenape, feathers dangling from her cut ears. But she was not Lenape. We are hungry, they said. We have come from the North Country. Now that the winter snows are over, we are heading for the Ohio lands. Brightfeather invited them to sit down. Here, my Lenape cousins, refresh yourselves with my turkey stew. You are welcome here. The girl stood to one side while the two men ate noisily. Brightfeather offered her a bowl, but as the girl reached for it, one of the men held her arm. She waits. She waits until we are finished. Then she eats. The girl backed away and turned her face. Watching from the shadows of the shelter, Thomas knew that the warriors would not take kindly to a Lenape family traveling with a Shuanuk but he had his gun, some protection. A white girl, Thomas thought, frightened beyond all reason. Could this be Sarah Bidler? He had to risk it. He searched his pouch for the doll that her mother had given him. Walking toward the girl, doll in one hand, gun in the other, he held it out to her. Is this your doll? He asked in German. She stood perfectly still, but her eyes widened just a moment before she lowered her head. One of the warriors walked toward Thomas. What do you mean talking to this one in a strange language? He pointed to the girl. She belongs to me. No one else talks to her. He hit Thomas's arms so that the doll was flung into the woods. The girl watched the doll disappear into the brambles. Come, my brother, let us be on our way. I do not like the hospitality of our Lenape cousins who travel with a Shuanuk. 
Mounting his horse, he swung the girl on behind him. As they rode off, Brightfeather stood, ladle in her hand. That girl has had nothing to eat. That girl, said Thomas, is Sarah Bidler. Huddled together under the dark bark shelter, Thomas and young son listened to the wind howling through the trees. Hastily constructed before the brunt of the storm arrived, the shelter was some protection from the driving rain. But none from the wind that seemed to surround them on all sides. The final mountaintop, sunrising, had exclaimed as they reached the height. See the markings on this tree. Our path will lead us downward through the next valley to Kithane. But before they could reach the valley, the rain began. I am tired of traveling, young son told Thomas. He tried to keep his voice from shaking. I want to be home. I wish we were back in Hidden Valley. Thomas put his arm around the boy to draw him closer. Soon we will be in Kithane, and that will be your new home. You will find other young boys to play with. No more traveling. Young son looked up at Thomas. What will you do? Do you plan to stay with us, or will you go back to your Shuanak home? The boy had come to the heart of Thomas's questions. My first home is far away, Thomas said, across the big sea. Tell me about your home across the big sea. Was it different? I lived in a little village by a river, but the houses were sturdy, like the Shuanuk houses here in Penn's Woods. Some of them were very old, hundreds of years old. Old? What does that mean? It means that they were built in the time of your ancestors. Did you live in one of those houses? Yes, I lived with my mother and father and my younger sister. A small family in a small house. But we were lucky. My father took care of the prince's storehouse, so we had plenty to eat. What is a prince? A prince is like a very important sashem, but even more important. He is in charge of everything and everyone. Young son looked at Thomas. I would not like to live in your country where I would have to obey one man and work for him. That is why many Shuana came to your Lenape woods to get away from the princes, to live on their own land and not have to obey anyone. Is that why you came? Thomas hesitated. No, I came to be a medicine man for my people. We believe in a Manitou, different from yours, but we do believe in a Manitou. He hoped his words made sense to his young friend. But young son was thinking about something else. You came across the big sea alone in a canoe. You were very brave. Thomas laughed. No, I came on a big boat, much larger than many canoes, with many sails. It was filled with people. It took two moons to cross the big sea. Did you see anyone on the shore? No, young son. There was no land, only water. The big sea is far wider than the Susquehanna River. For two moons, you cannot see from one shore to the other. 
two moons and a boat and only water. You were very brave, Thomas. We do not think the Shuanuk are very brave, but maybe they are, if all of them had to cross the big sea. Young son was quiet for a moment. But what about your mother and your father and your sister? Are they still across the big sea? Yes, Thomas answered. Do you miss them? Yes, I miss them very much. I have not seen them in two winters, and I know they miss me. My sister and I played in the woods together when we were little. I made her a grapevine cradle for her doll. Do you think you'll go back across the big sea to your home again? Thomas paused. I don't know. Young son sat up so that his face was close to Thomas's face. Everyone needs a home. Thomas looked at the boy's eager face. Young son, you are wise beyond your years. Everyone does need a home. No more questions. Lie down and go to sleep. As the child lay down beside him, Thomas had visions of his family in Mosulkern. He felt his sister's arms holding him when he left. He thought about New Canaan. He heard Father Johann reciting the, the Psalms. He saw Peter, Elizabeth, and Hannah. More than anyone else, he saw Hannah in the firelight. Upon the rivers of Babylon, there we sat and wept when we remembered Sion. On the willows in the midst thereof, we hung up our instruments. How shall we sing the song of the Lord in a strange land? Tears came to his eyes as he wrapped his arms around the boy and waited for sleep to come. End of chapter 17. By this time in the book, we had, in the, in the winter when we read this, we had passed by all the exciting, you know, sensationalized and very shocking similarities um, and had just begun to really sink in and open up to the, the deeper stories unfolding, the wisdom, you know, well, first I love that they, they this, this chapter actually now for me is quite the intersection um, as I have, I created a zine and have done recordings and put them up on a public platform for folks to begin aligning with the moon in the way that Thomas and the Lenape are talking about, um, measuring time, the passing of space between events by way of moons and using the observable moon in the sky as the marker for that time. And there's another theme that emerges here through the wisdom of young sun and the sweet and beautiful story that's told in the exchanges between Thomas and young son of, you know, trying to reason and understand on a child's level what the European settlers' home was like 
what they were, the baggage, quote, that they were carrying when they came to the, the new world, how that so skewed and affected their ability to enter into any type of harmony with the land. They were coming from quite a disempowered land lord, lords of the land, not just like rent, renter relationship. But, you know, as Thomas described, the prince was more than a sashem. He was more than a chief. He was a ruler and he dictated people's ways, which I can imagine took away a lot of mm, empowerment to feel and live in harmony with the space and, and the land around you. And so they were lacking that harmony, but yet craving it, and they came to the new world, and then they robbed other people. I mean, some people did this, some European settlers, probably the majority of them. And so hearing this story, this intimate story play out between young son and Thomas, and then tying that into the theme of home, and everyone needs a home. And what does home mean? Coming back to that topic of harmony and a relationship with the land and being able to ground oneself in the rhythms of the land and the sky. And so as we were reading this book, then and now, these deep themes of of home, what are we carrying with us, what is preventing us from finding home or having home, and what does home mean to each of us? You know, as I've been writing, uh, illustrating and writing this zine and recording audios to support anyone who's interested in using the moon in their body to, to take a step into a totally different paradigm of time and space and place. I've actually been home hopping. I've been doing house sitting jobs and uh, lived in a tent on the Susquehanna River for two months. And prior to that was on a 33 day road trip. So home, when young son says everyone needs a home, that actually hit me probably in very similar ways that it hit uh, Thomas. Even now, as I'm recording this, I'm sitting in someone else's home, you know, babysitting their animals and their, their space while they're away. So more to come on the development of that as I, as I reread Mary Jane Schneider's words and find how, you know, these themes as each character is opening up and the story is becoming more complex on all levels in their being and the interconnectedness. Uh, you know, we finally find Sarah Bidler and just what she's gone through and, and will Thomas ever be able to go and get her back? The, it's getting more watery and emotionally complex and deep. And so the, the factual, historical, synchromistic details that we're weaving in and out of our lives decreased but what increased is the, the empathy, the level of empathetic, deep kind of like, oh, wow, I know, 
I know what that feels like and what wisdom to hear from a, you know, a local historian's historical fiction. Uh, how, how is that? Wow, how is that hitting me so, quote, at home in the heart? So yeah, that is chapter 17 and I'll see you in the next chapter.